Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, which was basically like uh, his protege. Timothy was basically uh, commissioned to go and help Paul go back to these churches which Paul had established, uh, whether that be in Corinth or Ephesus, um, and to kind of get things structured and put back together. Uh, because Paul kind of, he went there, he labored, he, he would plan a church, and then he would move on. And uh, Timothy was sent back there to get things uh, put in order. And from what we gather uh, from this letter here, Paul is given some very specific things of what uh, he should be doing uh, and how to do it. He tells them how to deal with the false teachers in these churches that obviously had uh, made their way in there. He tells them uh, how the men and women are to be behaving in the church. And he tells them how to look for elders and for deacons and how to uh, basically have those men serve in the church as well. And as we looked at last month, how people are to behave in the household of God, which is the pillar and ground of truth. And uh, this morning here, we're going to look at what will mark the last days or how we will know we will be in the last days. And this is a very interesting passage of scripture that we're going to look at here. And really, I had to grapple with it a few extra days more than normal, just because it's a, it's, it's a, it's a difficult passage to work through. But nonetheless, it's, it's good for us to, to see what Paul was saying here. And I want you to listen very carefully this morning, because as a church, we need to be aware of what this passage means and what it will look like in latter times. So let's read our text here. It's in 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 1 through 5. And Paul writes here, he says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer, And then he tells Timothy, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. So Paul tells Timothy here, what will mark the last days through these Holy Spirit-inspired words here? And he says, what will mark them is that some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now, this should not be surprising because this is actually taught throughout all Scripture. Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, verses 29 through 30, about false teachers that would arise within their own selves and draw away the disciples after them. 
Moses warned about false prophets trying to lead people away from God in Deuteronomy 13, 12 through 18. Jesus warned about false prophets in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, verses 15 through 16. And there are also many other New Testament passages that warn about this as well. This warning is not just for some future time, it is for today. The Apostle John calls this the last hour in 1 John chapter 2, 18. We are living in the last days and have been living in the last days, and we await, as we await, Christ's second coming. Paul tells us in this passage that these days will be marked by increased apostasy, people departing from the faith. And so this is what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Know the truth and continue in the truth. So let's take note here a few things in our passage about latter times, last days here. Number one, people are led away by deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Now before we dive into this text, I I think it's important that we understand what Paul was talking about and whom he was talking about. Now, I admit, when we read this passage, on the surface, when you see these words, it appears that he is saying that people who were once saved are no longer saved, because we see that phrase, depart from the faith. Now, I do believe that in the early church, and even today, there are false professors of salvation, and they're in the church. Jesus himself affirmed this as he told us that there are tares among the wheat. And as we get closer and closer to the end, the tares are going to make themselves more and more visible. And Jesus says they will have to grow up together and then they will be cut down and then they will be sorted out. There will always be those who respond to the gospel but never had genuine faith in God. It sounds good. It seems like something they should do. Jesus told us about these people in the parable of the sower with the different types of soil in Matthew 13. They spring up for a little while, but because there's no root, they will wither and fade away. There are always people who will understand intellectually, who will behave externally according to the revelation of God, but who have no heart for that. In Hebrews 3.12, it says, Those who depart from God demonstrate an unbelieving heart. And really, the heart is the matter of salvation, is it not? You see, we should also remember the words of John in 1 John 2.19. He says, They went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out in order that it might be shown that they are not all of us. See, there are those who will depart from professing Christ, and those who do so were never truly saved. The seed of the gospel never produced true conversion in them. If it had, they would have continued. But that is not whom Paul is talking about here. Paul is talking about believers who are being seduced by false doctrine and false teaching, and departing from the faith. Not from their salvation, but their sanctification through the word of God. This was always a battle 
in the early church, and it still is. There's always this struggle that you see in the New Testament, and even today, and it is this thing that we need to make sure that we're not being carried off by false teaching and false doctrine. That's why Paul goes through all the trouble that he does throughout the letters and says, hey, remember, stick to the truth, stick to the truth. This is the truth. And he deals with false teachers and false doctrine in the church. He says, don't listen to it, don't listen to it, don't listen to it. Come back over here, stick to the truth, stick to the truth. This is why context is so important here of what he is talking about. And hopefully you'll see that as we move through this passage Those whom Paul describes as departing from the faith are people who are not enjoying God and the blessings he provides. Because what does he talk about? Marriage and food. Those are blessings that we as human beings can enjoy, right? And so these people, they had rather fallen into an outward form of religion in which they deny themselves things such as marriage and certain foods, And they were doing these things to gain some spiritual brownie points with God. It's just the same as we talked about in the book of Colossians, of these false teachers teaching some form of asceticism to become more spiritual and denying the sanctifying work of God in their life, that it was something that they themselves thought they could do. Well, I'm just not going to do this, and I'm not going to do that, and I'm going to taste not, touch not, handle not. And therefore, if I do those things, boy, God's really going to be pleased with me. And Paul's saying, no, you're missing all of that. Paul said in Colossians 2.23 that these false teachings, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now let's get a good handle on this text. Take a look at that word depart. The word depart is the word that we get apostate from. And it means to depart from, to remove yourself from a former place. To remove yourself from the position you originally occupied to another place. This departing is purposeful and deliberate departure from a former position. Paul isn't talking about an unintentional fall here. He isn't talking about somebody struggling with doubt. He is talking about people who deliberately move from holding to truth that they once affirmed to depart for another teaching, abandoning a once affirmed teaching. They moved away from truth. Yes, it is true that there will be those who appear to be saved and their speech sounded as if they were saved. Perhaps these people even performed some religious things, but because they never had a real believing heart, because they really never knew God, they will depart. But again, Paul is not talking about these people here. He's talking about believers who once held to truth and now they're being seduced by false teaching And false teachers. And so these people were believers who were following truth and now they are following lies. These people, because they are not continuing in truth, will be led away by false teachers and false doctrine. They are, as what Paul said in Ephesians 4:14, those who are behaving like infants, not strong in the word, they are tossed back and forth 
by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now notice the phrase there, the faith. This phrase, the faith, means Christian doctrine. Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, and this word also has that meaning. But faith is also the sense of the contents of what we believe. This is Scripture. It is the Word of God. Jude 3 says it is this faith, Scripture, the Word of God, that was once delivered to all the saints, which is the content of Holy Scripture. He then says certain men there in Jude have crept in unaware who pervert this faith, pervert this teaching. And these people who will depart from the faith are people who will leave sound biblical teaching and sound doctrine in exchange for false teaching and false doctrine. Paul says, Timothy, you better expect it. It's going to happen. And so it should not be a surprise to us either, church, that people in the church will move away from sound biblical teaching to run after false teaching because they are being seduced by doctrines of demons and being seduced by these spiritual influences. And so he says, Timothy, you must expect that. Some will do it, and you must know how to deal with it. You see, we see a lot of that today, do we not? Christians who are taking in false teaching because it sounds good or it seems more spiritual or it sounds biblical or it appeals to their fleshly desires. Notice what the source of this apostasy is in the text. He says in verse 1, they were led to this departure from the faith that says by what? Deceitful or seducing spirits and the teachings of demons. Not, not, not doctrine about demons, but this is the teachings of demons. All false teaching and all false religious systems breed demon doctrine and are energized by seducing demon spirits. False religion is really the playground of demons. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen through 15 tells us, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Behind every false idol, every false teaching, and every false religion is a deceitful spirit and demonic force. This is why sticking to the truth is paramount and should be paramount in the church. We need to identify false teaching and call it out for what it is. It's doctrines of demons. It's false teaching. And we shouldn't be surprised by this. We are reminded what Paul said in Ephesians 6.12. We do not wrestle against what? Flesh and blood. But against what? Spiritual powers, right? Principalities, the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness, he says in the heavenlies, supernatural demonic spirits are at work. And we as believers in the church have an obligation to stick to truth and make sure that we are encouraging others to stick to truth as well. Now the term, notice what he says here, devoting themselves or giving heed there. 
they devoted themselves or gave heed, is a very strong phrase. It doesn't mean just to listen to. It's also used in chapter 1 and verse number 4 of Timothy. It means more than giving your attention to. It means to assent to. It means to devote oneself to, to attach oneself to, to cling to a person or thing. It's a present tense verb in this case, and it has the idea of a continual clinging to the seduction of the spirits and the doctrines that they purvey. Paul is warning Timothy, Timothy, don't be surprised. If there are people in the church who have been exposed to Christian doctrine, all of a sudden depart from that teaching. They depart from sound doctrine and teaching, and they run after unbiblical teaching and run after lies. And we, just like Timothy, are to expect it as well. Paul, in his second letter to Timothy, warns him in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4. Listen to what he says. He says, For the time is coming, Timothy, when people will not endure sound doctrine and sound teaching. He says, But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. He's talking about believers who will follow false teaching. God calls to people through the, through the truth. And what is Satan always doing? Well, Satan with his demons tries to lure people away from truth with his hellish lies. The only way we are going to recognize these deceitful spirits and teachings of demons is to know the truth and to continue in the truth. Here's the second thing. People are led astray by false teachers. Look what he says here. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Paul now describes to us how these seducing spirits and doctrines of demons are propagated and lead people astray. It is through these false teachers. He calls them what? Insincere liars who have a seared conscience. Now, I think sometimes we think of a false teacher as, you know, somebody who is on uh, TV, you know, some televangelist, you know, uh, send me your money, right? Uh, or we think of the guy that comes to your house, the, the JWs or the Mormons, right? And they're peddling their, their, their false religion. And yes, those are false teachers, but can I tell you that Jude 12 reminds us of this? That there are false teachers like hidden reefs in your love feast? You say, what, do you th what does that mean? He says, in the church, they're already there. And they're already peddling their hellish lies and doctrines of demons. He says, you need to be aware of that. They're in your love feast. They don't show up and say, hi. I'm a false teacher. Come on and follow me. No. They're deceitful. They're hard to recognize. He tells us later on, he says that they are hidden reefs in your love feast, and as they feast without, with you without fear, and then he uses this word, he says that they are shepherds feeding themselves. Verse 16, he describes them as grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. That's one way that we can recognize false teachers. 
And just like today, there were such people in the church at Ephesus when Timothy was there. You say, well, how do we know? Well, Paul told us back in chapter 1, do you remember, in verses 3 to 7, where he discusses the fact that there were some teaching other doctrines, fables, and endless genealogies. They were dealing with questions that did not edify. They thought they were teachers and desired to be teachers of law, but they didn't understand anything that they were saying. In verses 18 to 20, it tells us about two believers, Hymenaeus and Alexander, who had made shipwreck of the faith. They had departed from the truth. And Paul said they should be delivered to Satan to learn not to blaspheme in such a way. Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians 5 about a believer in the Corinthian church who had obviously been seduced by a deceitful spirit and was engaged in licentious behavior and was having sexual relations with his own mother or his stepmother. We're not really clear on what what it was. But Paul said that this man was to be delivered over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. In both those two accounts, these believers had departed from truth, but they were still believers. You might be thinking, well, how do we know that? Well, when Paul uses that phrase, delivered or handed over to Satan, it is always in connection with divine judgment on sin. And we need to remember that Satan has no power over the spirits of believers. When Satan attacked Job, for instance... He was only allowed to harm him, harm him physically. He could destroy his possessions. He could afflict his body, but he could not destroy his soul. And the inner believer belongs entirely to Christ. And we have the absolute assurance that he will be saved in the day of the Lord. But in the meanwhile, the unrepentant believer may be turned over to suffer greatly at the hands of Satan. It's a good reminder of what Hebrews 12, 6 through 8 says. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as children for what children are not disciplined by their father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. And Paul says, these men, Hymenaeus and Alexander, he says, they've been delivered over to Satan to learn not to blaspheme. He says to the man in the Corinthian church, he says, we're going to turn him over to Satan so that his flesh could be disciplined, so he could learn. And we later find in 2 Corinthians that that man comes back into the church. Paul says, hey, things have worked out. The church discipline has been enough. We need to welcome this man back into the church. And so these men were believers but they departed from the faith. You see, there's always this call throughout Scripture for the church to deal with false teaching, as we are warned about it over and over in Scripture. And we, like Timothy, must be warned and instructed as how to deal with it. Our brother Alan spoke last month on chapter 3 and the mention of truth. Verse 15, the church is the pillar and ground of truth. Verse 16, Christ, the mystery of godliness, God incarnate, the very embodiment of truth. And the truth in the church and the truth in Christ are always going to be under attack by these demonic forces that are at work in these false teachers. 
And as true believers, we should be immensely cautious before we ever expose ourselves or others to any type of false teaching. That is why in 2 John you have that warning that says that there are going to come false teachers. He says many deceivers are entered into the world. And then he says, if they come to your house, don't even bring them in and bid them Godspeed. Because if you do, you're a partaker of their evil deeds. Shun them. Stay away from them. Don't listen to them. Any time you get near anybody that's under their teaching, Jude says we are to snatch them like a stick out of the fire. And he says, be careful so you don't get burned yourself. And while we may not bring in a physical person in, can I ask you what sermons, what books, what media do we bring in our house or recommend that may contain false teaching? So important that we stick to the truth because there are seducing spirits that are trying to lure people away from following truth to follow lies. So how do these deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons lead people astray? Well, look what it says here. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. They use men who are hypocrites telling lies. They appear to be religious. They appear to be preachers or religious leaders of one kind or another. They may be good on the outside. They may be very religious in their appearance. They may be devout. They may appear to be pure in their motives. They may look on the outside like they want to help to be helpful to men and women and assist them, but they are hypocritical liars. These false teachers have a facade of religion. These seducing spirits find hypocritical lie speakers, those who will be hypocritical in the sense that they have a pretend religion. There is what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that, he says. They are deceivers and liars who come masked in their religious garb. Sometimes they carry a Bible, but always they wear a mask. They are life speakers. They, they may be a professor at a quote-unquote uh, Christian college or a quote-unquote Christian seminary. They may be in a church. But they will find an audience and they will peddle their hellish doctrine under the direction of seducing spirits who do know, do know, who don't doubt not only seduce people through them, but have seduced them as well. And that is why the Bible warns not only about doctrines of demons, but also these false human teachers. Now notice how Paul describes these people. He says that their consciences are seared. This refers to the common practice of owners of slaves, uh, branding slaves and cattle. When slaves and cattle were branded, a hot iron was used, which seared their nerve endings in such a way that they couldn't feel anything on those spots. The word seared or burned is the technical medical term that we now call cauterizing. And it means to cauterize, to burn, or to scar. And this explains to us how that they, day after day, month after month, year after year, they can continue on in their hypocrisy. Why? Because their conscience has been seared. I asked my wife, I said, hey, uh, for Sunday, can I borrow your griddle, your electric griddle? And I said, I want to use it for as a, for as a sermon illustration. So I was going to plug it in here, and I was going to throw some bacon on it at the beginning, 
and just let it go for the entire time, you know, for us to have that sweet, you know, smell of bacon, but then all of a sudden it probably turned more towards a burning, nasty smell, and hopefully get across the idea of this searing, right, this uh, fact that the conscience has been seared and burned, and she says, I don't think that'd be a good idea, so you get to do it, sorry about that. But these people, their conscience has been burned. It's been seared. And this is what happened to these false teachers. They practiced dishonesty, sexual immorality, whatever you want to put in there, so long that their consciences were no longer sensitive to their sin. They have been scarred to the point where they can carry on their life and their hypocrisy and seem to have no problems in what they do. You see that word conscience there? Paul uses this word to describe their sensitivity to right and wrong. Their sensitivity to truth and integrity. It has been scarred beyond function. You see, God has given all of us a conscience. Every single one of us has a conscience. And it is a tool that God uses to send off impulses to affirm or condemn in action and thus control behavior. Why do you think every country, every nation has things such as, hey, we don't want people killing one another. We don't want people doing, I mean, because we all have a conscience of what is right and what is wrong. And these men, their conscience has been seared because they have violated that conscience so many times that now there's no feeling there whatsoever. And these seducing spirits use these men now to peddle these hellish lies and these doctrines of demons. Paul said in Acts 24, 16, this is the reason I do my best to always have a clear conscience toward God and toward people. He warned Timothy, you must hold firmly to the faith and a good conscience which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to the faith. Now knowing these things, this is really a warning for us as well not to have a seared conscience. How can we keep a sensitive conscience? Well, we must inform our conscience of right and wrong through Scripture. And so, you know, it's important that we, we stick to truth and know what truth is and not violate that conscience. And we submit to our conscience by obeying it. If we are convicted or worried, we must choose to heed our conscience. And when we disobey it, we harden it, and it becomes easier to not listen to it in the future, opening really the door for deception. So we must protect our conscience by not feeding it evil if we consume lots of cursing, sexual immorality, or bad morals through our relationships and entertainment, then our conscience will stop being sensitive to it. And if you've experienced that your conscience has been seared, I want to let you know that there is hope. Our consciences can be healed if we confess our sin and repent and start living truthfully. Haven't we seen people's conscience being seared in our society today? Our society has been flooded with sexual immorality, homosexuality, violence into our minds and hearts through the internet, books, TV, movies, radio, you name it. It's all there. And what has that done to our society? It has flipped it, right? So it's important that we keep a clear conscience and a sensitive conscience. And are you keeping a clear conscience? Let's look at the third thing here. People are led away by false teaching. 
So we've seen that the people are led astray through seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. That's where it starts. And these seducing spirits use these false teachers who speak hypocritical lies. What exactly were these false teachers teaching? Well, let's look at their teaching. And this is really just a sample of it, okay? This is what was going on there at the church at Ephesus. Anything other than Scripture is their teaching. Anything other than sufficiency in Christ and Christ alone for their growth and sanctification is their teaching. Do you know why they do this? Acts chapter 20, 28 through 30, Paul speaks to the elders at the church at Ephesus and warns them. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. For what purpose? to draw away the disciples after them. It's all about control. To draw away people from listening to Christ and following Christ to, hey, you need to listen to me because I got the corner. I know the secret of the true Christian life. And you need to listen to me. Notice how subtle the teaching is here. Here's what they taught. Verse 3, to forbidding, forbidding to marry and to abstain from food. That was their false teaching. They had two things they were majoring on. One was that if you wanted to be a spiritual, and if you wanted to know God, and you wanted to possess salvation, you shouldn't get married. It's better to be celibate, because you know why? You're not going to fulfill your sexual desires. Because, hey, you're going to be more holy if you're not married. He talks about this matter of food. Like, we've seen that throughout Scripture, have we not? Don't eat this. Don't eat that. Hey, you better make sure you're not eating that. Hey, is that a BLT sandwich? Better take the bacon off. Can't eat that, right? That's what these guys are teaching. If you really want to be spiritual, oh, what did you order? Ham? Bacon? And oh, no, 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 no. You can't do that. Sorry, can't do that. Okay? They, were, they were purveying this stuff, and they're saying, this is what is spiritual, this is their teaching. Can I tell you that false teaching will always pervert a clear view of the nature of God? Always. This is typical of Satan's style. It doesn't at first seem too bad. Well, if you want to be single, be single. Single doesn't seem to be a big deal. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 honors singleness. And if you don't want to eat, that's fine. There's a place for fasting. There's a place for dieting. But that's not what they were teaching. They were twisting Scripture to lead believers away from the truth in Scripture so that they would follow them. These believers were departing from the faith, the truth in Scripture, to false teaching because they were being led to believe that by not doing certain things, by practicing some ascetic means, by self-denial, they were going to achieve some extra spiritual spirituality. And that's Paul's point. That's why in Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23, he says, don't let anyone judge you regarding what you eat, what you drink, what you keep a feast day, whether you keep a new moon, whether you keep a Sabbath. Those are only shadows. The reality is here in Christ. Don't let anybody tie you up in some silly worship of angels. Don't let anybody hold you to touch not, taste not, handle not. All that ascetic approach to life, that is unacceptable. He says, for you are complete in Christ, 
Don't fall away from the truth of that. And we might be thinking, how silly that these believers were led astray. I'd never do that. Well, be careful, because you don't know what you are capable of doing. Jesus warned his disciples in Matthew 24, 9 through 13, then they will hand you over to be persecuted and will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will be led into sin, and they will betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. And because lawlessness will increase so much, the love of many will grow cold. You see, Christ taught that the end times will be marked by professing believers moving from truth to follow lies. There will be tremendous persecution and false teaching causing this. Now, obviously, I don't think that this type of false teaching of uh, forbidding marriage and, and abstaining from certain foods is, is something that we're really dealing with today. But it's what the early church was battling in its day. And sadly, it led to some departing from truth to following false teaching. The point, however, is that in the last days, false teaching is going to abound more and more. Unfortunately, there will be some who will depart from truth and follow lies. Now, you might be thinking, well, Mike, what does false teaching look like today in the church? Well, it's hard to pinpoint. Obviously, you still have legalism and licentiousness in the church that is being promoted through false teaching, but there's also a very popular te teaching, I believe, today in churches, and that's in the prosperity gospel. Uh, and, you know, we, we kind of familiar with the prosperity gospel, you know, uh, the health and wealth gospel, you know, God wants you to be healthy, God wants you to be wealthy, you know, send me your money, and hey, God's gonna make it all happen in you, right? But I have seen over the years that message, the prosperity gospel has kind of morphed a little bit, and it's turned a little more into an emphasis on where man is the center of creation. And God serves as this divine butler, providing what we name and claim for consumption. This teaching, I believe, is very man-focused. It's self-centered. It's full of self-esteem. And in a sense, it's really a worship of self. Any teaching that takes the focus off Christ and puts the focus on man is false teaching. Any teaching that takes the focus off Christ's finished work and puts it on what we can do except Christ working through us, it's false teaching. Any teaching that diminishes the greatness and holiness of God and exalts yourself is false teaching. Any teaching that puts your feelings above Scripture is false teaching. And we need to be aware of that. So that way we're not led away from the truth. Now let's wrap this up real quickly. How are we going to avoid all this stuff? Avoid apostasy by knowing the truth and being thankful. Two things I see here in this text that Paul mentions. Number one, avoid apostasy by knowing the truth. You need to know what scripture teaches and always stick with scripture. You need to read your Bible, folks. You need to be in your Bible. Do not rely upon me or any of the other elders for your spiritual growth. You need to be in your Bibles. It's so important. Find out what Scripture says and stick with Scripture. Always. Don't trust me. I'm a man. I'm fallible. Read your Bible. 
be in Scripture always. Notice how Paul clears all this mess up so easily, right? He just brings the truth of Scripture right into it. They're saying, oh, we can't get married. Oh, we can't eat certain foods. We've got to abstain from all this stuff. Look what he says. He says that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. That's it. He's calling us back to Genesis. God made everything good, didn't he? Those of us that are married, marriage is good, right? Amen. Those of us that eat real food, food is good, right? Amen. Aren't you glad God didn't make everything taste like gruel? Oh boy, have another pile of gruel. Man, we got everything, such a variety, and we can enjoy it. And that's all that Paul does is he brings it back to Scripture, and he says, look, this is what God did. Everything's good, so stick with Scripture. Here's the second thing that he says here. Avoid apostasy through thankfulness. There is, I believe, something that leads people to false teaching and lies, and that is being unthankful. You see it there? Twice Paul mentions being thankful. That God created to be received with thanksgiving. Later on in uh, verse number 4, he says it's not to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And so the error of these false teachers and their false teaching was the failure to thank and praise God for what he made. Paul mentions this gratitude. And if you're bitter toward God or if you're grumbling about his dealings with you, you're vulnerable to Satan's attacks to being seduced and led away by error. You got to be thankful. We're reminded about this again in Romans 1:21, Jude, uh, Jude 16. God's people who persevere believe in the goodness of God even in trials and thus are filled with gratitude. Are you being thankful? If not, you're opening yourself to being seduced and led away by false teaching. It's so important. Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.